As we consider how to provide for the resources necessary to generate freedom in the future, energy is an important priority. A great deal of money is transacted around fossil fuels, nuclear, and renewable energy generation. Many wars have been fought over control of these resources. Access to oil and gas supplies have been critical in determining the outcome of combat. However, even in our peaceful endeavors, the supply of electricity can determine whether businesses survive or fail, as parts of California are rediscovering. Our current culture and lifestyle, which incorporates social media, virtual worlds, and the ability to communicate and transact quickly and in great numbers, are all heavily dependent on affordable electricity. However, this podcast shall shine a light on a different type of energy, psychological, and its implications for mental health policy. Why? Because freedom is an experience, not just a political or economic condition. For example, many of us make decisions with attaining financial freedom in mind. But what is financial freedom? One might start by defining it as having so much wealth you can buy whatever you choose. However, even the wealthiest person will be limited by what the economy actually produces or the natural resources available. Beyond that, financial freedom is often associated with not having to work for money ever again. That is very much dependent on what lifestyle and expenditures one aspires to, as well as having a sufficiently stable, safe, and predictable economy. Many of us could live a comfortable life on the interest alone from having $10 million in bonds. With $100 million, the interest, even after taxes, would be in the excess of a $1 million. However, our aspirations tend to change with greater affluence. Maybe having all you want starts to include helping those who have little. All of a sudden, that million dollars a year may not seem so much. The experience of financial freedom will have changed. What about the ability to weather a really severe inflation? A hyperinflation, such as in Germany after World War I, or more recently in Zimbabwe, could turn that seemingly enormous wealth into barely enough to get through the next few weeks. If financial freedom is about weathering through any economic crisis, it is possible that no amount of wealth will leave you feeling completely confident. This is why such freedom is also about how you experience your finances. Ultimately, an economy exists to generate the experiences we value, and those depend on one's states of mind and mental health. Pine and Gilmore's book, The Experience Economy, is one source for a deep dive into this. Our choices influence experiences in two important ways. The first is over the expressions to manifest through our behavior. The second is over how to interpret events that leave the impressions we savor and which become our memories and foundations for future experiences. It is in this balance of impressions and expressions, given our finite material and psychological resources, that our well-being is generated. The standard conception of economic activity is that of production, exchange, and consumption, 
with a particular focus on material goods and services. However, experiences are more than this. They can be creative, spiritual, social, and transformative, among other qualities. Culture can also be understood as the psychosociological space within which economic matter moves, is measured, and ultimately is experienced. To a hammer, everything seems like a nail. To an artist, a nail can be anything. If we understand that the ultimate outputs of an economy are experiences, then we can speak of the attributes of these experiences. Part of our experiences are the attributes of who we are. When I play electric bass, one part of the experience is the sound that is produced. However, another part of the experience is the feeling of performing, of creative expression, that I have a choice over what I am doing, and that it is reflected in how the material world manifests. Even if I do not play a composition as well as others might, it can be more satisfying to play it myself than to sit and watch someone else play. In both cases, I can feel a sense of well-being, yet one is not quite as fulfilling as another. We use the term flow to refer to this expressive satisfaction. The sounds I make can be savored as a listener's impressions. The energetic flow of having chosen to play those sounds is one of expression. We seek to optimize the balance of these two. It is the embrace of oneself as a force of nature that unleashes both the creation and production of goods and their valorization, essential for an economic worldview. The moment of choice is valuable not only for its consequences, like the range of options in the future, but also as an end in itself. A day of rest at the end of the work week gives us space to savor life. It is that much sweeter when we have worked diligently, such that what surrounds us is easily imagined as our own handiwork, and what we find within ourselves delights us as well. Given that the practice of yoga involves mental focus, it can be understood as an applied economics of the mind involving choice over how to use the resources of awareness and consciousness. A self-conscious decision-maker is one for whom their expressions and impressions are entangled. So, mental health issues are critical to an economy in many ways. From a cognitive perspective, those who have depression or other issues that affect their ability to enjoy an otherwise abundant life, it is as if they are deriving less value from what they consume. It would be as if we took our macroeconomic measures of production, such as GDP, and decreased them because there was insufficient human capital to fully value its consumption. How many times have you or someone you know gone out to an expensive restaurant, but it had little taste because of your mood? One of the reasons for embracing a modern market economy is that we will have more of the things that make life enjoyable. But what happens if you can't enjoy anything? This also raises the behavioral economic perspective. Mental health issues can also reduce productivity. 
due to increased time out of work and or less focus on the tasks involved. Another effect is due to how our mental health impacts the decisions we make. Generally speaking, the more stressed we are, the less patience we have for intricate and complex work, and the faster we want to get that project completed, we become more myopic, which not only leads to greater inefficiency in using our scarce resources, but also tends to exacerbate crises that generate more stress. It becomes, as some might say, a vicious cycle. We are now deep into the connection between mental health and freedom. Mental wealth is the accumulation of all the skills, talents, knowledge, wisdom, networking, self-control, and insights required for valuable experiences. Mental health, as it is understood professionally and promoted by organizations like the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, is essentially the health of the brain. The distinction is very important. A healthy mind still has a scarcity of bandwidth and time pressures to deal with. Therefore, if the experiences are difficult and painful, it can take a while to process, as in post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Minds also operate under a certainty principle. Information and experiences typically have some uncertainty around them. Part of mental inventory are hazy memories, unfocused present, and unclear futures. The implication is that we end up downplaying or even totally ignoring much of what goes on outside and inside of ourself. When the world around us changes quickly or what seems safe is now dangerous, it overwhelms our bandwidth and energy. We respond by attempting to simplify, tunneling on one issue or task, and avoiding complex decisions and actions. This also shows up in more myopic decision-making, where we consider consequences, the future, less, and immediate action, the present, more. Thus, while a 15-year-old and a 50-year-old might both have excellent mental health, it is the differences in their mental wealth that leads to different sensibilities and actions. On the other hand, we all know of someone whose mental health declined very quickly, and even if their mental wealth changed little, their capacity to benefit from it changes dramatically. Moreover, our mental health is affected by what we have experienced. And those experiences are dependent on our environment and how others treat us, which in turn is based on the choices we make. For example, the COVID-19 crisis, which has spiked uncertainty and forced us to change habits and patterns, has triggered people to tunnel on avoiding and eliminating the virus. This has led them to consider dangerous options. Notice how the original priority was to maintain overall health and then becomes narrowed to just dealing with the virus. However, the individual response depends on the preferences and tendencies going into the crisis. Those that are more risk averse are more likely to stay inside, 
avoid physically interacting with others, and reinforce thoughts and emotions that will make it more difficult to adapt as society reopens. The greater risk takers will be the first adopters. They'll increase physical interaction and will reinforce thoughts and emotions that downplay or ignore the dangers that do remain. This is important since how well we avoid an infection spike depends on our acting as if a risk remains. There is a potential for a cultural bifurcation, something we already see between those who wear masks when necessary and those making the risk-taking statement of not wearing a mask. What is true of individuals also shows up economy-wide. The business cycle of peak, recession, trough, and recovery has a bipolar quality to it. The peak's mania increases risk-taking, which can make great gains. However, when it starts going wrong, a collapse can quickly occur. At the other extreme, when markets are near their trough with low incomes and much apprehension, the emotional depression is palpable. To get out of it may require someone else providing a to or investing in us. There is another cycle that is critical in developing economic policies towards resource optimization, the growing healing cycle. Economic growth is the expansion of an economy's production possibilities. One growth indicator is increasing GDP. However, growth involves investment and risk-taking. Those risks can lead to negative outcomes such as financial loss, physical damage, bodily injuries, mental traumas, and social decohesion, which we can refer to as wounds. Healing is a different process than growing. Healing requires a tranquility for wounds to recover, which involves avoiding risk and doing less for some duration. Attempting to do too much hinders healing. The growing healing cycle has six phases. Taking the risk, feeling the pain, stopping the trauma, healing the wound, confronting the fear, and transforming the spirit. The insight is that growth takes risk-taking. However, behavior does not change until feeling the pain, and only then can the trauma be stopped. Healing the wound requires avoiding risk-taking, as one cannot heal if the traumatic behavior is ongoing. Once healed, we must confront the aversions and fears toward risk-taking that has developed. This requires a transformation of spirit from a focus on healing back to growing, which allows us to take the risks that allow us to grow again. This leads us to recognize the importance of investing in society's mental health. Part of this would be the financial investment in mental health care. It would also include encouraging interpersonal relationships and organizational structures that reduce unnecessary stresses. It is one thing to have a competitive economy that advances as we try to do better. It is another to interpret competition as conflict and combat when greater cooperation might be called for. The greatest opportunities for all of this would be in our educational institutions. 
Schools and universities do the critical work of increasing the human capital that is mental wealth. This makes them the point to assure that mental health is being supported. The availability of nutritious food, exercises for body and brain, counseling, and constructive human interactions might be considered as part of a holistic package a school sells. Let's consider how the pandemic and associated shutdown affects our collective mental health and its impact on our economy. First, people will respond to the increasing uncertainty with a combination of simplifying and ignoring. The risk-taking first adopters to reopening are more likely to ignore risks involved with going out to shop, eat, and socialize. This implies infection spikes might be greater. As such, the risk-averse will see this and further delay their return. This can exaggerate the split in society, as we see with the mask-no-mask -mask creeds. If the spikes are too large, it could choke off the economy's rebound. Simplification is seen by individual consumers returning to only a few specific businesses. Second, part of addressing mental health needs will be confronting internalized fears and transforming spirit. This is from the growing healing cycle. The healing spirit is one of tranquility, risk, and avoiding risk. The growing spirit embraces action and risk-taking. There will be pent-up demand for counseling and therapy, as well for spiritual guidance and religious services. We already see this in occasional confrontations between those attending full churches and local governance enforcing social distancing. For others, their form of therapy will be medicinal and recreational drugs, which may also see increased consumption. Finally, there will also be differences in response by age. Seniors will be discouraged from venturing out, which can put greater stress on their mental health. In turn, that will put pressure on their families to connect more or just disconnect altogether especially at a time when Social Security and Medicare funding is also being challenged. This will affect how much time and money goes to working and buying new items, like cars and appliances, relative to what is used to care for the elderly and vulnerable. Part of mental health policy would include sufficient funding for mental health services, such that those with low incomes still receive some care. This would include assuring all children receive essentials such as food, shelter, education, and health care. Another part is the continuation of Social Security and Medicare, since the more retirees can care for themselves, the more working-age children can focus their own energies toward producing freedom. <laughs>